0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Looking Glass Darkly with your host, Dave Oscuro. My guest today is Jason Zini, a digital imaging technician, an editor, and a director in his own right. We just finished working on a project together all summer, and I thought it would be really fun for us to get together just riff on film. We've been talking about doing a podcast for ages, even back when I was doing Grindhouse. And for one reason or another, scheduling-wise, it just never really worked out, but this one... Coming off the conclusion of our film, felt like the appropriate time to sit down in person, have a cup of coffee, and just chat about film. We touch on such topics as what inspired him to get into film, um, some of the films that he enjoys, the state of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as the benefits and freedom that the horror genre provides. One of the major talking points that just sort of ends up coming up over and over again over the course of our conversation is the difference between art and content. Is there a distinction, or are we this one and the same? Is it just a matter of gatekeeping or is there something more to it? Is there a difference between quality, moving, inspiring, and challenging storytelling versus easily consuming Uh, content creation that is so quickly ingested it's more akin to fast food than a home-cooked meal these are the questions that we're uh, looking to answer, and hopefully we provide some insight that makes you think about it a little bit further. To me, storytelling is the key to our preserving of our traditions, of our cultures, of our beliefs, both spiritual and um, social political uh, and morally. So to me, because just because we're talking about the genre of movies, which I think sometimes gets dismissed as simply entertainment, I think we forget that. The medium has always evolved over time as technology presents itself, but the art of storytelling is crucial to our culture as society. And I think that it's worth exploring and examining what kind of storytelling we're providing, because it will have an impact on future generations. So I want to thank Jason once again for joining the podcast. It was so fun to sit down in person, have a sip of coffee, and just talk film with a fellow film nerd. So thank you, Jason. Thank you all for listening. And without further ado, filmmaker Jason Zini on film. Obviously, right before we hit play, we're talking about creative people. And it just seems very ironic that people who who fancy themselves creative people within the film industry oftentimes can't visualize things in advance they have to see it like tangibly right. and then when they see it it doesn't it doesn't match what they imagined in their mind if if they could at all
1: yeah and I, I also noticed that like when people see something at the beginning like a lot yeah they get stuck on it yeah yeah and then that's where they want to be the entire time. And, to, and then they hire someone to make it, to make it pop, to make it, it look as good as possible. Right. And then in the end, they're just like, why doesn't it look like the thing that I was shown originally? Well, it's like, because you got stuck on that.
0: Right. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was watching this roundtable with uh, was like a bunch of composers. And I think it was, I want to say it was Danny Elfman, who was talking about how much he hates... Uh, pre-score, like temp score. Right. Because what happens is the the same thing exactly what you're talking about. The director will sit in the edit bay with temp score in place and, you know, they'll cut their film to that and then they give it to a composer and they just want something that sounds like the temp score. Right. So what ends up happening is, of course, it it limits the creative ability of the, the composer but also... Most of the time, this temp score is coming from other movies, right? So you use, like, the Gladiator score, <laughs> yeah. you know. for Han like Hans Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah, and then everything, you just start to get a derivative of a derivative of a derivative. And then, you, if you notice, like, a lot of music
1: scores are interchangeable and don't stand out, with a very rare exception. Right, and because in the old days, they literally would just hand a film, a cut, over to the composer with no music, and it was up to the composer to create something. yeah. And yeah, now, you know, because of, I think it's because people want such a quick process of in post. Yeah. They start with throwing temp music in because otherwise people are like, I don't know where the score is supposed to be. Well, I think it's also partially because people, people can't envision, they can't imagine it, which again, to go back
0: to my earlier comment, it's just very ironic that the creative folks are usually the folks who have the most difficult time imagining what a score will sound like eventually. Right. They have to sort of have something in place for them. And then, to your point, they've they've become married to that. Right. This is this is the score for their film for all intents and purposes. Right. And then you try to hand it off to an artist, and they're like, "Okay, but here's the, the very narrow box that you can exist in, because I'm married to some other composer's work, you know." Right. And that's how it is with with uh, color. It's the same thing. So I'm always fascinated by what the DIT position is and and how and, and just generally how people get into film because I think there's a lot of folks who who love movies and they they fancy getting into film but very few people take that step to do it and and even less people stick with it like when you when you think back about like where you're at now and how you decide to go down this path like what what inspired you was it like it was like a film or was it uh you know like a series of or a director or what what was like what was the catalyst for you going from someone who liked movies
1: to now working on movies oh um i feel like i've actually always wanted to make movies really yeah like from as long as i can remember it was just like a cliche thing to say <laughs> but right. it's like i've always always been into movies like in high school i had a my own TV show and local access. It was nice. Like a movie review show. That's cool. It was like a Siskel and Ebert type thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd get beta tapes from the studios. <laughs> That's and I'd awesome. I'd play the trailers. You know, the, the school would send me out to go see movies, so I'd review them. Nice. And, and, um, yeah, and then I worked at Hollywood Video. And, like, really. so I was like the movie guy yeah. all the way through. Then I went to film school. But, yeah, to go way back to like the first uh, movies that I feel like I got really into. I really, I was probably the first Alien. Okay, good probably choice. Terminator Two. Also, a great choice. Um, I mean, those movies were like, I couldn't get enough of. Them, watched them until the VHS you know wore out. I, I feel like our generation. I mean, I guess every generation feels this way, certainly. But
0: like. Folks our age really, really had a, 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 a the movies that we that 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 we were raised on. Right. I feel were some of this. I mean, they're classic films. There's like like you know Alien, Aliens, Terminator Two, um, Conan the Barbarian, uh, Predator. Yeah. And then and then you go a like different direction out of the the eighties action sci fi world, and you go into films like uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs and and Pulp Fiction <laughs> yep. and Desperado and Clerks, and from the late, from like the mid '90s in particular, or mid '80s to like the late '90s, there was just this. Um, there was these advances in technology and this, the craft of filmmaking. It was different than in the, the you know most people consider it the golden age of cinema, like the '70s, right? Um, um, your your Scorsese and your Coppola, and that that era is awesome as well. But the '90s were like fans of that era, fans of genre who were taking what was otherwise thought of as lesser forms of filmmaking and they were elevating them to an incredible degree. Um, I don't know if this generation is going to feel that same way. Maybe they do with like all the Marvel stuff and like the avatars and things of that nature. But I feel like I hear a lot less people being I feel like I'm not. I'm not going to try real hard not to like just take a bunch of digs at Marvel, but <laughs> as you drink out of an Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but I don't know how many people are going to watch like Spider Man Far From Home and then saying that makes me want to be a filmmaker.
1: No, probably not too many. But I think it's no different than like I loved comic books growing up. Sure. Still yeah. do. Yeah. But I think it's the same uh, same kind of feeling where. Yeah. You know, Marvel. I love Marvel movies, but I think, yeah, they're, I think you're right. They're not inspiring anyone to go into make movies. It's more about watching the longest, tele- most expensive television right. show ever created. It's a spectacle. Yeah, exactly. And but I don't think like I don't think movies like um, I don't know if movies like Moonlight or something make people want to go be a filmmaker either. Maybe not. Maybe not. But that's it. But that's also a shame.
0: Because like, I, I think one of, like, so for me, I, I didn't always know I wanted to be a filmmaker. You know, I honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to be until I was in my late 20s. You know, right. I knew I was, I, I sort of fell into management and I was in retail management for a long time. And, you know, I, I always fancied myself a creative person, but I never, I, I can't draw really. Um, I played music a little bit. I never really found that thing. What I thought I wanted to do was write, and um, and then I, I came across Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew, and when I read that book, coupled with at the time, like all the behind the scenes featurettes that used to be on DVDs when DVDs were a thing, yeah, I was just I was just fascinated by the process of filmmaking, And right. and then once i got into film and i started really thinking about like where that early fascination stemmed from i started to go back to things like um smashing pumpkins tonight tonight video music video oh yeah Love or or video. yeah or michael jackson's thriller even earlier still right because my dad had a little vhs tape of uh i guess hbo ran a featurette on on the making of thriller and so my dad had that and we would john watch Landis, right? yeah john yeah. Landis, and we would watch it all the time and that was really the first time that was really the first time that I remembered watching... I mean, this is certainly at an early age. Sophie's tap dancing in the background for everyone who's listening to that. Um, that was really the first time that I remember at an early age being more interested in the process of it than maybe even the final result. I mean, obviously, I love the final result, but, like, the making of it was incredible. Yeah. I wonder if, like, with... Mo- like so, so, Yeah, okay, so people see Moonlight, and maybe that doesn't inspire them. But I think part of that's also because there was an accessibility for a period of time where the filmmakers were letting you in to kind of see how the process goes. And it felt like you could do that. Right. I mean, it's hard to look at Terminator 2 behind the scenes and say, like, I could do that because it's so –
1: it's in and of itself is grand. But that access – That's interesting though that like BTS is kind of what's got you in. Yeah. Because that's – like for me, I don't think that's what it was. Mm. It was more like for me – like I saw Alien, Terminator Two, you know, Pulp Fiction movies like Young. Yeah. I mean, my parents let me watch any everything, mm-hmm. and I was always just like, "Oh, that was a fucking awesome movie!" Right? You know what I mean? And like, come out of it just so excited and being like, "I want to watch that again." You know, I've always loved TV anyway, yeah. like in in all its forms. And so I was always like a creative person, also. You know, right. I can draw, I can. And, you know, like, going into school, I definitely was like, do I want to do sequential art or do I want to do filmmaking? Because they're very related. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I was like, I want to make movies because I got to college and people were so much beyond what I could do for drawing that I was like, I have no chance here. So, but getting back to my original point. um, uh, Okay, so. Where was
0: I? I don't know. We had a dog interruption, so we had to pause the show. Oh, you were just saying, like, uh, when you got to
1: college, that a lot of the people who were doing, like, drawings oh, yeah. and stuff were, yeah. like, but so many more bands. Yeah. They were drawing straight up. Jim Lee, <laughs> they were amazing. And I was just like, that's not even close to where I am. Right. You know? So, I already... Again, it was between juggling filmmaking or drawing, and it's like, I'm going to do filmmaking because... I, can't, I don't want to sit at a table And have my fingers fall off And sure, I yeah. don't have the ability That some of these other people do So But yeah um, What was my original point? Just in terms of what inspired you Like for me it was like all the Oh yeah, yeah, and the BTS yeah. Right And so yeah It was it was definitely The excitement Of seeing a movie at, And wanting to replicate that You yeah. know what I mean? Like so If you see a movie for me, when I see a good movie, I'll remember it forever. Yeah. You know, decades later, I'll still be able to quote it and be right. like, that made an impression. And I always wanted to tell stories like that, right. whether it be drawing or filmmaking. Well, so. I think that's the key.
0: And that's the thing that gets lost a lot, um, especially as we've made this sort of weird move towards content creation. You know, you hear that terminology. And I'm not going to split hairs on like the terminology used, but there there is a bit of a shift between Especially with the streaming services and, and and the model of the streaming services, where where like because you because what Netflix did and they dump all the episodes at once, and then you burn through an, a
1: season in a weekend, and then you forget about it, and then you forget about it because yeah. you haven't there's, you haven't you know extrapolated out the tension, right? I've read articles about this. There's no water cooler talk, right? Because it's been. You've eaten it up, like you said, in a day or two. Yeah, yeah. And, even, and even
0: if you do have, like, maybe that week that it premieres, right? The, it's 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 just like a news cycle. It's already out of out of date, right? And I feel like um, there has been a, because you have you just have to create so much content in this model. Where previously a 10-episode series would last you 10 weeks or maybe even with a, with a mid-season pause at 12 weeks, right?
1: And, and you had to have a moment where you had to be like, oh, this thing is on at 5 o'clock right. on Sunday or whatever. Everyone stops what they're doing and watching it because you couldn't just TiVo it or whatever. Yeah. So. So, so in that process, I feel like
0: sometimes the storytelling aspect has been lost. And, um, and I think that you're on to something. And, it, it, you know, you worked at Hollywood Rental, right? Yeah. In the old movie theater or uh, video, the, video store era... You had to make a choice. You had to you had to get in your car, right? Drive to the to the rental place, select a movie, pay. Yeah, you had two days or three days or five days depending on the age of the movie to watch it and return it. Usually, you watched it that night. Yeah, and um, it there, there was more of a, a a concentrated effort behind it, whereas now. You just flick, you just flick through things, and I right. mean, how do, we we've at one point had so many different streaming services, and we'll flip through all of them, and we end up watching YouTube because they just don't have anything that is captivating,
1: or or at least nothing's presented in a way that's it's captivating. Because like, like Hollywood video blockbuster, whatever. Part of like the charm of that, and like the, what people, you know, kind of uh, miss, I think, about the place uh-huh. is. Just walking endlessly through the aisles and, like, instead of, like, doom scrolling now or whatever, right. you're you literally – you could pick it up, be tactile with it, pick up the box, look at the cover, turn it around, read the summary, and, like, decide if you wanted to rent that. And usually the the cover art was always, like – really cool or interesting because it had to be right because it had to like bring you in yeah Netflix it's just a quick swipe to the next thing immediately you're not like looking really for more than two seconds or it has that autoplay feature which is so annoying right you know like I don't want to see any of the movie right now right I don't want to see a trailer I just want to look at, and read about it for a second
0: right let me and, digest it right. before you're just bombarding me with, right. con-
1: with <laughs> exactly. this, these images and just show me some explosion like that doesn't do anything for me yeah. because I've seen explosions a thousand times right like, right right. yeah and like getting back to your original point of like um, I think losing I guess creativity and like what kind of movies make people want to be filmmakers and stuff and, like, how Marvel, you know, kind of doesn't really do that. Like, a lot of art films that are, like, highbrow art films, I don't think really do that either. I think the only genre that still, like, brings people in to make movies is horror movies because yes. that's one of the only genres you're allowed to be creative in. That, that's a good point because I have a
0: friend, and I, and I, I would feel this way as well, if I, if I could transport myself back. Like, Robert Eggers right. is a Great director. Right. Whom I've met, people who, and I have a good friend of mine who sees his movies and says, "I want to make Robert Egger Robert type films." Right. Like he's a guy who's who, who's correct. Yes. They, it has such a distinct voice, right? And they're weird, and they're you know, like, it's a very almost. It's not. I don't want to say it's quite David Lynchian, but like you could see like in the same way that a David Lynch movie might inspire you, right? Or a Terry Gilliam movie might inspire you because they're just they're off kilter, they're off the wall. The Robert Egger movies do as well, and by extent, and, and Robert Egger got to start with The Witch, really. And right, and, and even Even The Lighthouse, uh, uh, why I wouldn't call it horror, it's definitely dark. And and you're right,
1: there is room to play there, there's room to be creative, and there's and also it's not, it's him, Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele's Gary Aster, and, yeah, it's Arthur. like those kind of and those are all horror directors, and yeah. like. All the original greats, you know, or, or like, greats from, like, the Silver Age, Spielberg. Spielberg, horror, Jaws, Duel, you know. uh, Cameron. Cameron, horror, Piranha. Yeah. You know, uh, Ridley Scott, horror, Alien. alien. Um, You know, most of these guys got their start in horror because you're not tied to some A-list actor or some actor that's going to be like I don't want this in the movie or whatever. Right. Cuz as soon as you get that in the committee comes in and then they're like we got to do it this way. We got to make sure every this movie is going to sell this many seats, right? Yeah. In a horror movie you don't have to do that. Cuz yeah. you're just like you're making the movie for as cheap as possible. Right. And you're just trying to get by and like and make the movie how you want to make it cuz you're not re- relying on talent the, the actors to sell sell the movie, right? You know, it's just more of the idea of the movie that's selling
0: it. Well, the, the, yeah, exactly. And the genre, ha, the right. genre has its own built-in audience. Like people love horror. There are people right. who are horror fans. You very rarely see people who are like, I'm sure there are, but you don't oftentimes hear about people who are like Western fans. They exist. I but, think they're dying out. Yeah. Or <laughs> or um, you don't you don't hear a lot of people who are like I'm a romantic comedy fan. Like no. you might be. Right. But you probably don't identify with yourself that way. Right. And you're not, like, building a culture around those. Right. The only thing that, that does do that in a very different way is the comic book movies. Right. Because the comic book movies, you could definitely be a Marvel fan. Right. And uh, But but I think oftentimes, like you mentioned earlier, and I'm the same way, if you grew up on comic books. Right. If you grew up imagining what they would look like on the big screen, right? Especially if you're a Marvel fan. because. Yeah. DC's shit the bag completely. Well, but but even back when we were young, like Superman the movie, Batman '89, like up until Spider Man uh, in the mid '90s, right? DC was running. They they dominated it. So like if you were a a comic book fan, the closest you got was like uh, Blade, (laughs) yeah, Blade or uh, Spawn, right? Which which is actually, by the way, has aged pretty well if you view it. From a f- certain lens. Like, yeah. It's very 90s. Definitely. But in the same way like The Crow is 90s. But I, I enjoy them very much
1: n- nevertheless. Absolutely. And I think um, horror movies, um, they just, like you said, the culture doesn't ask for, uh, they don't care who's in the movie. No. Unless it's a horror star. Right. Then maybe there's appeal, right? Sure. Like if they have a. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Perfect example. But like, at this. But most horror movies, you know, you're like, oh, um, you know, uh, what's her name? Tony Collette is in her- Hereditary. Cool, but I don't care. Right. You know? And then you watch the movie and she's like, she was great in that. Right. But that doesn't. That's not why I want to see the movie. No, and she's not selling the next
0: horror movie. If no. Tony Collette's in, I don't know, the next Hellraiser. Right. She's
1: not the draw. Right. Pinhead's the draw. Right? Exactly. The monster is yeah. the draw. Or the director. Yeah. Because the director, you're like, okay, this guy's got a great track record. Right. So, of making really cool horror movies that are like, make you think, make you, that are also like, you know, have great gore or great suspense. hmm They scare you. And um, you're not going to, uh, that's why you're going to the theater. Right. So what I've often said, I've said this ad nauseum on this podcast and my
0: previous one, that what I think makes horror so great or and, and specifically what defines a great horror film oftentimes is that it captures the anxieties of whatever generation it's speaking to. Right. Which is why I think so many remakes don't work. Right. You know, so like I totally agree with that. Story. Like if you look at Friday the 13th as, as that, that whole series as, as just like a, a, a sort of a snapshot. The people who die in it are the people who are uh, having sex, doing drugs, drinking. Normal teenage behavior, right? Although I'm not advocating for teenagers to have sex. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like normal like normal young adolescent behavior. Yeah. And they're being murdered from it. It's a very extreme echoing of Nancy Reagan's just say no, abstinence first, don't right. talk about, you know. It, it's It's like the monster represents like a very... A very extreme version of like conservative mindset on how young people should behave. Right. How that idea of kids should behave and be seen and not heard, and if you express yourself in any manner, the boogeyman is going to come and get you. Right? You know, yeah, exactly. and and so that makes sense coming out of the '80s, right? But right. when you transplant that idea to like 2020s, where you know, pot is legal in a lot of states now. Yeah.
1: Only uh, fans exist. Only
0: fans. I mean, shit. Just even in Instagram alone, yeah. like that. Those those taboos aren't really taboo anymore, and so it's still. So then, what it ends up relying
1: on is nostalgia, instead right. of like actually something like less and, topical. And a brand name. And at right. that point, you're just. It's more like people like just wanting to go see kids get chopped up, right?
0: Conversely, you mentioned three directors that I think are doing. Who are still doing that, and that's Jordan Peele, especially yeah. Get Out. Yeah, I haven't seen Nope yet. I do uh, want to. You said it's really good, right?
1: I I didn't love the third act, but I love. I do appreciate all the ideas he had yeah. and um um and what he was going for and taking a chance and like I thought. It, I mean, it's a good movie. It's just like a movie like that. I'm gonna hold to higher standards. Sure, yeah, because the bar sets set so high. Right, exactly. But all of his movies are t- saying something that, what you're about to say, I think, which yeah. is absolutely echoing something that people feel is wrong about what's happening right now. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Ari Aster, in a, in, a, in a very much different way. Very much, yeah. But but he is. Um, yeah. Summer, absolutely. Yeah. Commenting on cults. Cults and cults relationships. Are, yeah, and cults are... Definitely, relationships, and I I feel like cults are more prevalent than ever right now. Yeah, well, because I think that you what we have as in society is that the
0: the traditional institutions by which people could identify with with a community and identify and with themselves, right? Yeah, have have largely eroded, right? Yes. The 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 country is far more secular than ever before. There's there's not a lot of adult, you know, you know. the, there used to be like a you know men's clubs and women's clubs and like you used to, you know you used to be able to do those kind of things past college beyond the workplace where you could socialize with your peers and you could be a uh, I don't know a shiner or whatever how you know the, those things are right don't kind of really exist anymore so you only really have your workplace and you have your social media outlets which are things and, and you have your social media exactly so. It opens the door because I think that that's a the, the need to belong is a natural human uh, desire, and so right. in the we're, absence we're of a tr- it we're a tribal absolutely you know so, so in the, so. yeah so in the absence of that you're gonna get the Proud Boys you're gonna get uh, whatever even anti You go to the other direction like you're gonna get these these different groups that pop up. That I'm not calling any of those things cults per se, but you can start to see some similarities in the behavior as to how people identify themselves. And right. More, um, I wouldn't even say
1: extreme, but aggressive I, see, I ideologies. Wouldn't say, I wouldn't say uh, Proud Boys or Antifa. I agree with you. They're, I don't want to say either of those are cults. No. But I feel like those are subsects yes. of a cult. Yes, 100%. Like, I feel like Trumpism yes. is a cult. 100%. Because the hallmarks of a cult is that the cult leader can do no wrong. Yes. And if you're going to make an excuse for every bad behavior and then point to the other side and be like, see, and whenever they do they're literally the same thing and, and call them out on it, that's a cult. Yeah. And Politics in general are a cult. Right. But it's gotten so much worse. Yes, I agree. And I, I don't think – I mean, I think and, – and getting back to the original point, I think that's what – midsummer is commenting on big time. Yeah, and we even
0: if we're not conscious of it, we feel it. Yeah. You know, we feel that distrust. We feel that like, wait, is this right? Like if you were to join a political movement, whatever, let's say you're conservative or or liberal, doesn't really matter. I think that the because because the ideology is getting so extreme and it's becoming so myopic that it makes sense that someone going wading into those waters would be like, wait, is this welcoming me, is this dangerous, I don't I don't really know, like this an uncertainty right. and then you get drawn in, I, like I remember during the um, the last election there was a lot of folks whom I was friends with and we had like I don't even want to say falling outs but they just became harder to less desirable to be around and to associate with, yeah. I'll put lightly. It's a nice way to say it. Yeah, yeah because if it was, was operating in such a Fevered extremism Right And like I know who's on my social media Right 99% of my social media Is liberal folks So I'm not gonna spend A lot of time Talking about how Trump is bad Because I know Everyone already thinks that Right On my And, and, and at this point Who are you trying to convince because Right Because no At this point The lines are drawn Right There's no like However what I did do and, and maybe this is my own folly But like I wanted I thought it was also Equally important To point out the flaws of Biden because I could anticipate that we were going to get, right. in the end, a lot of the same at least policies, even if the rhetoric and the and the external parts even are different, different color. Yeah, yeah. You know, kids are still in cages and on the border. Like we still yeah. have health care. Like all these things are important to me. You put lipstick on a pig; it's still a pig. Exactly. Yeah. And man, people were all on me. Yeah. Like close friends were like, "Call." I literally had a friend call me a misogynist because. I dared to say that all uh, sexual assault claims should be taken serious, right? Including if they're levied towards your guy, within Biden, right? Like, Absolutely. at least take it seriously. You know, it, it, it's due. It's due process. We've all known that you know people can, regardless of their gender, make false claims. But you should take it seriously,
1: and as such, you you do the you do the work to find out what is true and what's not true, right? Right. Like, it's the same thing. Like, Biden said, what, the quote, you know, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, or something like that. (laughs) Yeah! Like, if Trump said that, he would get skewered. Absolutely. And, like... It's just absolutely, like, come on, now. Like, you always just got to think, if the other side said this, how would would that be? How would that be read? Yes, yes. And, like, because I'm not making apologies for Republicans. No. At all. Because I think that you know, between the two sides, you know, when you, like, uh, South Park had it right. You know, you get a shit sandwich. Yeah. What is it? Sh- no, it's dicks and assholes. No, no. Oh, that was from Team America. No, South Park South Park says, uh, oh, yeah, a giant douche or, or a turd sandwich. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they were talking about, funny enough, they were talking about, I think, Carrie and Bush, which is like... And it Sh- shows, shows you so much yeah. Hasn't changed How much more mild Were those two though <laughs> You know All right. things considered In retrospect Right And that and, th- and these are coming from people That are pretty libertarian That's how yeah. they, they Proclaim themselves Yeah And so Although I think They've gotten more liberal As yeah. it's gone on And they've But But like Yeah The fact that things Have not changed at all And like When was that? Twenty two thousand 2008, I- 2008 Or something I- like that Go back even further Read some
0: it- Hunter S. Thompson quotes On like on, on his view on politics. And it's like in 1972, I think Hunter S Thompson put out a quote talking about how, uh, the Democrats were pushing to vote for their, I forget who they were running. Mondo maybe. And uh, against Nixon. Walter, oh, Walter Mond- Mondale. Mondo, yeah. yeah. And, and it was like, they were, they were preaching the, le- the lesser evil rhetoric yeah. in 1972, <laughs> which was, you know, nine years before I was even born. Right. So what, 50 years ago. So yeah, it, it, you start to see those things, and I I look at it this way. I like to take a phrase, I like to swap out the words, and if, when I swap out the words, if it makes some, if it makes that statement wrong, then the statement's probably wrong, right? Like if if you're excusing for the for the people on the right who looked at Trump saying I'm oh, grabbing by the pussy kind of whatever, and they're like that doesn't matter to me, I'm all good with that, and then you got old corn pup, Sleepy Joe who's got a claim of a forcefully fingering a woman, like, if you're excusing either of those things, you right. need to look in the mirror. And right. that, is, that is reflective of a more cult mentality that is becoming, especially in the ecosystems of social media, becoming more and more um,
1: prevalent in our society, well, you know, what's funny is why I think we get this, like why we're, we end up with a turd sandwich and uh, a and giant douche every time, is because just like filmmaking, when you make things for everyone, no yeah. one wins. Yeah. And that's, no one gets what they want. Because you're making things to appeal to the widest, broadest, you know, populace possible. Yeah. You want every, you want to get as many votes as possible. Which means you're not going to get people that line up with your ideals. You're going to get people that are a huge Venn diagram, you know. Yeah. And, and because of that, you get milk toast Biden. And that's what a lot of people liked about Trump. Because yes. he's not actually that. Yeah, He's more, I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And people appreciated that, even though... Even if they disagreed. Right, exactly. I know a lot of people... In 2016, I think a lot of people changed their mind. But yeah. I like, I good people that in 2016, they were like, yeah, I like that that guy speaks his mind. And yeah. that is what people appreciate it. And yeah. that's why people like Bernie also. Well,
0: funny that you mentioned that because I, I was having a conversation with someone once who said after Bernie didn't get the nomination that right. said, I would have voted for Bernie. But since he didn't get the nomination, I'm going to vote for Trump. What,
1: Which is mind boggling because they're... Couldn't be farther from each other. Ideology,
0: yeah. yeah. From an ideology standpoint, they're they're completely opposite ends. But but from a, from the perspective of pointing out that things are wrong
1: and honesty and and a, well, I wouldn't extend honesty to Trump. Well, but well, I think Trump honestly believes the bullshit he's saying. I don't know if he does, but
0: you know what I know. But, but I mean, I'll say this. I don't know if he initially does. I think at some point he convinces himself of it. Right. Because I think he goes in, in earnest with everything that he says. Right. But I, I think what his strength was and still, I guess, is, is he finds out what makes you irritated. He finds out what he, – he has a knack for knowing what bothers you.
1: Yeah, getting under people's skin.
0: And he, and he drives that thing home. Right. And – coming out of the 2008 housing crisis when people were like their faith in the government is at an all-time low and then to have the candidate be like hey everything's great let's get four more years of awesomeness and they're like foreclosing on their home they're being laid off they're just seeing their standard of living drop every year right and then you got cheerleader to the left and then you got malcontent to the right like there's an you could see why people were drawn towards that even if If you boil down the actual policies, probably a lot of people wouldn't agree with that. Right. They just want
1: something else. But, like, I mean, that also shows that, like, in debates and everything, we've completely lost the ability to talk about issues. Right. It's just about who can get in the best zinger now.
0: Yeah, and and sadly, like, you know, I think Midsommar's such a great film to talk about with this because it was also a very— uh, classically misunderstood film from a lot of perspectives. Like the, the the movie is really talking about cults and how societies—not one society, but multiple societies—can be equally, if not differently, dangerous. Right. If you're easily swayed by them, right. so she, so Danny hops out of a bad relationship that is uh, gaslighting and toxic and what have you mm-hmm. into a cult. Which is doing the exact same thing, but it's just doing it in a slightly different way. Right. It makes it makes her feel heard, which was really all she was looking for. Even if they're right. literally legitimately a murderous psychopathic Cole. <laughs> so if you guys aren't catching the parallels at this point, just by but just by virtue of the fact that she was so beaten down by the traditional relationship that she was in and the traditional society that she was in, that just having someone Make her feel like they were listening, that they were empathizing, that they were understanding, even if their tendencies are probably worse or at least as bad. Right. She
1: was drawn towards that. And they weren't bad toward her. That's the other thing. Not yet. No. But like in the beginning, that's the lure, right? Right. They they bring you in because they think – they bring you in on this promise of you're being heard, you're being uplifted, we're celebrating you, your existence. Yeah. And then – eventually you become just another member of the cult. Right. And, and it is how
0: politics work. You can see the parallels with Trumpism. Yeah. You can see the parallels with uh, white extremist groups, like alt-right groups and what have you. Like, they, they take a disenfranchised populace that's being told your feelings don't matter, your struggles don't matter, you're not the right complexion for us to care about you, and then you've got this dangerous group that says, we'll welcome you in. Right. Yeah, come on in. And what was sad is that so many people I know watch that film and they're like, "Oh, it's about m- mean guys, bad boyfriends." <laughs> I want to put my boyfriend in a bear suit and light him on fire. I'm like, "That's psychotic behavior." Yeah, and I should just probably maybe just dump him and and skip the homicide part of right. it. I think just yeah. leaving skip the,
1: the relationship. Yeah.
0: yeah, just leaving the relationship is probably fine. No. I don't think you need to go towards the.
1: Uh, the ritual, the murder that right. it, that encompasses, but like people just missed all that. Right, and people like to go to extremes as a joke sometimes, but that problem is that joke becomes reality very quickly.
0: Well, like another movie, I, I always joke that there's two movies that are the most misunderstood movies of all time. That's Fight Club, and Gone Girl. Ironically, both by David Fincher. Yeah, but great both, movies, both they're they're both great movies. But both of them are are so misunderstood by their base. A lot of predominantly dudes watch Fight Club, and, right. and they're like, "I want to be like Tyler Durden." It's like, no, dude, you don't get it. Like, the whole thing is, first off, the, the narrator is constantly complaining about this perfect male, this unattainable standard, and then he imagines himself in that standard. It's not an accident that they cast Brad Pitt, who's got a ten pack, right. You know, there's like there's no like the irony of it is that everything that he's claiming
1: he's against, he secretly desperately wants. Right, and then he gets all these lonely males to come and be part of a cult. Right. Yeah. There you and, go. And on the and then they, they tell everyone they're on this crusade yep. to fix society. Right. Exactly. And, and that's and people <laughs> who who don't understand the movie watch that and be like, that's what I want to do. And like, no, no, you see. This that a, guy's crazy. Yeah, this
0: is a cautionary tale. Yeah. You don't want to be this. The narrator legitimately kill, tries to kill himself or at least kill this part of himself to escape it because it's that toxic and detrimental to his well-being and the well-being of the people that he cares about. Yeah. And yet people are like,
1: yeah, Tyler Durden is cool. It's like, God damn it! what movie did you watch? Right, right. <laughs> this is right. a different and movie. It, there's a lot of characters like that throughout. Yeah. Movie history too, and and, and I, I not just movie history, any kind of literature, but like characters that people are like, oh, that guy's so cool, but it's like no, that, that's you completely missed the point. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: the same thing happened with Gone Girl, right? Right. A lot of women watch Go- predominantly women watch Gone Girl, and they thought like, yeah, revenge fantasy. My my boyfriend's yeah. a jerk. He doesn't quite understand me. Maybe he's he's you know slept around or what have you, and they 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 take that as a playbook. how to get revenge but the main the main character is a psychotic killer (laughs) literally psycho killer
1: yeah
0: and and yet that that they just somehow there's this disconnect and they just miss that and then again you look at politics extreme politics or cult you know the extremists and and cults and like as an outsider you look at it and you're like how are you missing the obvious danger signs that are going on here Right, and the fact of the matter is, it's because there's a deep existential desire that is being satiated, and it's so deep and it's so crucial that it over it
1: overrides your better judgment on every other red right. flag that's occurring. It takes out common sense, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, I mean, look, you know, you get Trump's <laughs> Trump right now. You know, on whatever day it is, say uh, August fourteenth or something yeah. like that, twenty twenty two, and you know, like a week ago, he gets raided for, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> having having nuclear right, uh, like whatever they say, like it, whatever that would never happen if he didn't. It wasn't super serious. You right. never raid a former president's right house unless they are absolutely sure he has some done something wrong. Yeah. And what is like happened like two days later, a nut goes after the FBI and gets himself killed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so like <laughs> that's what happens when you're in the cult. You know, the cult leader says something. He, he pays no, he gets, he, nothing happens to him. Yeah. And, but the, the members who are obsessed, they're the ones that pay the price.
0: Yeah, cause it, because, again, the, the cult leaders are often grifters. Always. Very yeah. rarely do they you know, believe their own hype. And they are cult of personalities that, that – mode because they know the, – the, the key is, is knowing how to tap into the desires of the audience, right? Whether the audience is uh, the cult members or it's a film member, right? Or it's someone watching the movie. There's a line in the movie Almost Famous I love. I love that film in general. Great. Jason Lee who plays the lead singer of the band Stillwater the fictional band Stillwater within the in, within the movie yeah. he's got the, the, the Patrick whatever his name is who's the, 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 the reporter and he's like you know what my job because they're all arguing about who does the most work in the band who's the most important person of course it's like the lead guitarist or the lead singer and he's like you know what I do I get people off I find that one guy in the back who's not getting off and I get him off <laughs> he's like I changed my mind you can print that and that is kind of what this is all boiling down to it's like these cult of personalities they find the thing that matters to you or is deficient in you and they exploit it and they and they they explode it and they manifest it to grow to overwhelm everything within you and in that process there's a deep fulfillment in a way that the that the person experiences, and then that makes them loyal to them. It's like a drug almost, right. or like if you were starving and you gave someone food, you are able to now have. Here is a, a great example: if you if you found a stray dog that was hungry and yeah. you fed it, it probably follow you around right. because you've given it the thing that it needs, even if where you're where you're leading it is to the slaughter. Isn't that whole Pavlov's dog? Thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You know, and and um and we you know we started at the top of this talking about storytelling and this is just kind of what it all boils down to and that's what a great movie can do and i think this is what horror movies do is that they find the thing right. you know in their storytelling process they they they're tapping into something that is uh delinquent not delinquent um deficient in us and it addresses it right
1: and you can only really do that with horror and satire yeah and it's like using allegories to be like you know And and not everyone's going to get it. Right. But, like, there's, I mean, like you said, Fight Club, Mm -hmm. they do it and stuff. But a lot of movies, like, a lot of dramas and stuff are, like, they lean into historical things. Yeah. Which aren't really allegories so much as, like, remember when this happened. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and that was bad. Yeah. Like, which isn't quite as, I think, highbrow, honestly. No. Because you're not really asking people to think. You're just, like, remember. Just Remember which is good too
0: sure but... do, you, do you feel like a lot because I had this complaint like a lot of films are getting more and more um, derivative of something else and the correct the best example I can give because I, I I I kinda of, after Endgame I really kinda of stopped watching Marvel films. I
1: kinda of felt like yeah, there was well, a face, nice phase four is falling off. Yeah. It's, it's not so good.
0: But I was on a I was on a plane and I, I saw um Spiderway Spider-Man No Way Home, mm-hmm. I think is the most recent one, the one yeah. with the three Spider Man. Yeah. And I was watching that and it's not a it's not a good movie, like by traditional standards. It's not a terrible movie, but it's just like a meh it yeah. it, it skimps on a lot of what I think is crucial storytelling elements. In favor of nostalgia and in favor
1: of he did the thing. He did the thing. Right. There's the meme.
0: Yeah. There's the yeah, meme. Yeah. Oh, he talked about his back. I remember when he r- really tried to get out of Spider-Man Two because he had a back. Oh, something through. of a scientist myself. Yeah. Oh, I've seen that meme. Yeah. yeah. And like that is. Um, it's a wink and a nod constantly. And and it's like it's replaced pr- that, that engagement that we talked that let's say Midsummer had right. Yeah. It, it, it 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 shuttles off really captivating your audience with something compelling with satiating a a nostalgic, you know, self-referential moment
1: that elicits a response. Well, I think a lot of Marvel has a problem with that because especially superhero movies in general, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. superhero movies in general are... They thrive off of the hero's journey. Yeah. But you can only tell that story so many times. And especially, you can't tell that story in sequels over and over again because it makes no sense because you already told the hero's journey. Right. But there are some movies where they actually go above and beyond. Like, I'm a big fan of uh, the Captain America movies after the first one. I actually think the first one's bad. But, like... Yeah. It's this, okay, but it's it's not as good as the, sequ- the right, subsequent but, ones. But Winter Soldier yeah, Winter Soldier Civil was great. War, I think... It was good, too. Civil War's long, but it's good because I like that movie because I like the metaphors it's saying. Yeah. Especially about, like, it's, it's commenting a lot on current events at the time. Right. So it's like, there's two sides. It's splitting. Mm-hmm. And it's over, you know, ideals. Of, like, do you register or not? You right. know what I mean? Do you trust the government or do you not? Blue or red. Right. And... I liked it because they put characters that you like on both sides. Right. So you have to, like, consider both sides. You yeah. can't just be like, oh, that guy's the villain. You know what I mean? So yeah. he's bad. And while, like, The Winter Soldier also kind of did that, but more of like, it led up to the Civil War because it created the distrust. Right. Because the government was, you know, <laughs> infiltrated by Nazis. Right. So, like,. And I think uh, the Russos did a good job of yeah. like intertwining them, and also obviously great action. But we're, like, right? But that's I think those were some of the pinnacle of Marvel uh, Marvel right. movies. I agree because there was they were trying to say something,
0: and again they were they were doing what we talked about horror films do. Right? They, they read the room. They realized that there's a growing distrust with the government. Rightfully so, in my opinion. You, you mentioned that in in the in that universe, like the government's been overrun by Nazis. It's like okay, yeah, like real life. So, it's, so, <laughs> I think so that's it's, a docu- it's a documentary. Yeah. All right, get it. Yeah. But um, you know, if you look at if you look at Phase One, uh, I guess the first three phases of Marvel, in right. particular, the sequels of the, the 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 sequels for all the first batch of movies are almost all stumbled. With the exception of the Captain America movies, right? The Second Thor stumbled. Bad. Yeah. The Second Guardians, I my opinion is not as good by far. Not no as close to be good. Hey, Sophie's tap him back to the room. <laughs> I know, sweetheart. Um, uh, what was the other
1: ones that came out?
0: Even the Second oh. Avengers is not quite I as don't good. Think
1: either Iron Man sequels are good at all? No, I, I think agree. they're pretty bad. Actually, yeah. yeah. Um, I think. Um, I don't know What other ones are there? Uh, but 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 the point of them
0: is is that Doctor Strange two didn't say anything. No, because because like you said, they're so buoyed by the hero's journey, and our hero fighting an evil version of himself. Like every movie is essentially the same setup, right? Yeah, doppelganger. Yeah, someone who's a jerk or flawed. Mm-hmm. Gets forced into a scenario where they have to become a hero. Right. There's a learning curve where they're right. not. They're still kind of a jerk, but they're still kind of a hero. And yeah. you gotta learn. with great responsibility comes, or great power comes, great responsibility. Right. And then eventually, cometh
1: before the fall. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then and then in that process, they face up against a evil mirror version of themselves, which is if them if they took the, the pa- bad decision. The bad decision. Yeah. And then they overcome their shadow self. That's literally every Marvel, every single first Marvel one. film, every single yeah. one. And then the second film, they're like, "Oh shit, what do we do now?" Yeah, and they, and they they just stumbled all over. It. And then what right. they end up, they then they the, with the third movies, what I noticed, they just got irreverent,
1: and they started becoming like slapsticky. Right, they became satires of themselves. Right, like Thor Ragnarok. Right, which was, was a fun. fun movie, but it's like it's dumb as hell. <laughs> so stupid. Fourth one even stupider. The,
0: that's the problem. The problem is that guard, what I call the James Gunn treatment, right? That James Gunn treatment of just. Treating everything silly, or uh, right. I would never pronounce it. Taiko Titi. Yeah, thank you. Like, that that works as a as a palate cleanser. Right. But then the problem is, is they just go more in that direction. Right. And then it goes from being a palate cleanser
1: to being dog shit, frankly. Right. Or, or like, then they're like, oh, man, we got to make something serious and we got to do something like. You know, grounded, yeah, and uh, dramatic, and then they make the Eternals, and it's like complete dog shit. It's I didn't watch know. it, dude. It's so bad.
0: I had no, there's nothing it's about it. It's The worst it. Marvel movie. It yeah. makes
1: no sense. Really? It's basically like if they would have made an Avengers movie and had no characters leading, just leading like no character intros right. in any of the other movies. So you're like, who the fuck are all these people? Why do I care about them? Oh yeah, I don't. Yeah, and then like you're like, <laughs> and and it just keeps like. Especially with me, like, actually having read the Eternals comics right. and knowing who they were. I'm like, if you don't know any of this stuff, you must be so lost. Well, that's the other thing. You know, I, I feel like Marvel
0: really started believing that all they had to do is produce a film and people would go right. see it. Yeah. And I think that they lost track that they have to say something. Right. and The, mo- the movies still have to say something. Like, Endgame... I don't like as much as Infinity War. Uh, oh, it's it's fun, yeah. but it's 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 of the two you know of the two movies, it's by far inferior to Infinity War because totally. Infinity War had a complex villain who you weren't quite sure
1: if you agreed with or not. I mean, you did you don't agree he with? He had some points. He has got some points, yeah. right? Even though he's going about it the most like genocidal psychotic way possible, right. you're still like. I kind of see where you're coming from. And you're not a clone of the hero. Right. You're your own character. Your own
0: thing with your own motivations right. that are
1: because not... Because that's his movie. Yeah. Really. And, it's and, not... Yeah.
0: And then when, when they got to Endgame, and there's real stakes. And, yeah. and spoilers, if you haven't seen Infinity War. The heroes lose. Yeah. Um, Which... Which in I think itself, blew some people away. Yeah. 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 Like, of course, if you read the comics, you, you should have some idea. I mean, they, they, they deviated a lot. But, yep. like, you'd have some idea of kind of where this is all going. And um, But I actually think Infinity War, the movie, plays better than Infinity War, the comic book, in terms of caring and stakes. But with Endgame, it was like, you know, uh, let's take this complex villain, Thanos... And let's take him from being a super complex character to being just a mustache-twirling bad guy. Right.
1: And uh, let's make it a a time uh, heist caper. I mean, I kind of understand, though, in Endgame why they did that. Because... They kill that Thanos in the beginning yeah, of the movie, sure. And this Thanos is one that never lost his daughter, never do- n- nothing but, ever happened to him where he learned anything. But it's not as compelling,
0: of course. And and they don't have to make that choice, right? You know. But I feel like they probably thought, okay, we told our serious movie, now we got to make it fun for the kiddies, <laughs> right. and you know, make a bunch of the ending. Fe- yeah, yeah, back to the future jokes, yeah. and it's like, honestly, I wouldn't have even brought. I mean, don't get me wrong. The the moment when Captain America finally says Avengers Assemble is awesome. Yeah, it's an awesome moment. Those what three minutes between when Cap is is beaten and he's about to go out on literally go out on his shield, and then he hears Sam in his ear, and then you see all the portals open, and now you've got a big splash page about to come. Right,
1: and that's super comic booky.
0: Yeah, and it yeah. was awesome. But like at a certain point, it's like outside of that one moment which is still fan I mean there's emotion there but it's it's largely fan service right yeah.
1: And also when Iron Man dies is very emotional
0: spoiler yeah role. yeah and it is because because you know it, he's he is the catalyst for this whole universe Right But looking back at the movie as a whole it's it's just what it's just there yeah. And and I feel like it's indicative of where phase 4 has gone whereas that like when I saw I saw Doctor Strange uh 2 because I was waiting for a flight Ironically, and I was like, Oh, let's go see a movie and that was the only movie we could watch and make our
1: flight, right? right? So I started watching it and I was like, it was fine, I guess. Yeah it, it but it's also like the problem is that they're getting too like this is what happens also if you if you uh, read a lot of comic books. Yeah. Well this is always what happens. You get into something and you're like, Wow, this is great and then comic book, like Marvel or who DC whoever, they get greedy and they're like, Okay, now you gotta buy this comic and that yeah. comic and this comic for any of this to make sense, yeah. And the problem is, if you hadn't seen Wandavision, Doctor Strange makes no sense. Well, I didn't watch Wandavision, right? I I knew enough about it to track the
0: story, yeah. But this is like what you just described is what was one of the things that contributed to the the '90s crash in the comic book market, right? And they're just, the movie industry is just doing. They're just following suit. Like it's like <laughs> Marvel. Didn't learn anything. Marvel filed bankruptcy at one point because of exactly these tactics. And Marvel Studios is like, yeah, we're going to do it again. Yeah. (laughs) But both me and my friend that watched the movie both walked out of it thinking, man, there was probably a good Sam Raimi movie somewhere in there. Yep. Like, there's enough good stuff that, like, if Sam Raimi made this anywhere else it would have probably been really fun. Right. But because he made it in Marvel and they got to shoehorn all their Marvel shit and, like... The other thing that drives me crazy is I used to love Easter eggs. Yeah. Because I'm a nerd, right? So I love, like, oh, that's tri- 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 uh, Tribunal, the, the living God, like... Uh, in in uh, Thor and Love and yeah. Thunder, like oh you know, like I used to love those moments because they were fun. Now they become so overdone, so oversaturated, right. so like like yesterday you were wearing a Red Apple cigarette shirt, yeah, which is a which is a little easter egg that Tarantino puts in
1: all his films. Right, that you have to really be a Tarantino fan to even know.
0: Yeah. That. But like it's like nowadays, so many of these movies because they're they're lacking in the actual storytelling. Yeah. they're just like let's shove as much hidden stuff. And that's more wink and nods, like we were talking about. Yeah, before. that the nerds are gonna yeah. like, and they'll think that the movie's better than it is because we we gave right. them enough fan service. But ten
1: years down the line, it's just a bad
0: movie. It's just not a good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I uh, like. Did you watch the most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre?
1: No. I heard it was awful. So. Dude,
0: it sucks. And what's yeah. sad is I worked with the DP before. He's from Texas. And the director's from Texas. He was a camera... Uh, I think he was a camera operator before. I don't remember if I'd worked with him or not. But I worked with the DP. And they're very talented people. And it's a beautiful looking film. Story's dog shit. <laughs> and... It was like the wish version of David Gordon Green's Halloween. Right. And it wasn't done well. And none of it made sense. And uh, there's some cool moments. But largely, it was just... It tried to buoy itself on a bunch of wink and nod moments. To other to, horror movies. To other horror movies. It took, Yeah. yeah. It's like, why did you bring back the original Survivor? Oh, now she's a tough, like... Literally, like, a Mar- I think it's Marilyn. They bring her back, right? The Survivor of the first movie. They right. bring her back.
1: And now she's like a tough sheriff it like makes no sense. No. She, she would have been just traumatized and never wanted to be in that situation.
0: Yeah, again. she's a grizzled, tough, old lady, just like Laurie Strode is in David Gordon Green's. Yeah. You know, and it's like, she gets killed in like 10 seconds after she actually comes up face-to-face with Leatherface because reasons, and like, you know, that. he does the dance with the chainsaw at the yeah. end, because he does the thing, because everyone's got to do the thing now. because right, you can't make an original movie. He, he, at one point, he, I don't care what I'm spoiling, this movie sucks, so whatever, like, at one point, he, like Leatherface is just hanging out in this ghost town in Texas yeah. and all these like nerdy yuppie kids come to like uh, gentrify this town because every story has got to be about gentrification now yeah. and none of it's done well. No. Um,
1: and it's not subtle. No, it's not subtle It's right ever on. just like, here's the here's the uh, hammer yeah. with, <laughs> we're just going to smash this in your face repeatedly.
0: Literally at one point, Leatherface like busts a hole in the wall, pulls his old chainsaw out and then just revs it up and goes. It's like he's supposed to have been like he's old man Leatherface just like old man Michael Myers sure. and Dave Gordon. So, it's been like 50 years since allegedly
1: he's last been in which makes no sense also because Leatherface is a guy yeah. that wears a mask while like Michael Myers is literally supposed to be a demon basically. Yeah. So, well like even that
0: there's a there's a moment where like <laughs> this, the the hero like takes the chainsaw and like slices uh Leatherface like up up his gut like basically like flays him and then like I think he gets shot, and then he just shows up to get to do the last kill and do his. Got to do the thing with the dancing da, 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 thing.
1: And it's like, yeah. dude, why? dude, the best. The best Texas Chainsaw. I'll stand by this. Is the Jessica Biel one? I, I mean, love that movie. It's okay. It's. Okay. I'll say
0: this of
1: the Platinum Dune
0: remakes. It's the best one.
1: Yeah, and it also has one of the greatest trailers. <laughs> The Ever trailer, made? Trailer was good because yeah. it has that "Mortal Coil" song. Yeah, that really gets you into it. With and then it uses the flashball. Uh, just a great trailer.
0: Yeah, it wasn't bad. It's I, not. I, I still think the original is the best one. Obviously. Yeah, the original is
1: good, and the second one's actually quite good too. Yeah,
0: the first two are the best. But
1: um, but I like that Platinum Dunes remake because it looks great. It does look. Great. It's genuinely scary. Right. Um. It has Artie Emery as a psychotic sheriff. <laughs> well, it it feels like they the Platinum Dune movies like just.
0: I guess this is the case for a lot of things like they just start every remake they did got just progressively worse
1: yeah the Friday the 13th one's not very good the,
0: the Nightmare on Elm Street
1: one's terrible too oh yeah that one's awful just like, it's like because well, you can't of, be Freddy without Robert mm-hmm. Englund. you just can't just how, there
0: are just some people that are who was it that we're oh it's like there are rumors that they're gonna do another Pirates movie Right. Yeah. And if Johnny Depp's not in it, why would you want to watch that movie? Why would you want to watch it? Like <laughs> even if – and it's not fair to whoever steps into right. that role. And there, if there's no natural handoff – and I don't even think a handoff would work. But like that – you watch those movies to watch the capers of right. Jack Sparrow. And it, it would be like if you, if you were watching – if you tuned in to watch Scooby-Doo and they replaced the Scooby gang – like, right, it's just not as fun. Like, Correct. that's not yeah. why you're there. Which for Which
1: also, I got to say, it's going to be something that's getting back to Marvel is going to be very tricky for them. Yeah, because you know, without the big three, who are these characters?
0: You know, yeah, they don't have a Captain America. They don't right. have Iron Man. They I mean, do they, have, they
1: horror, have but they have uh, you know Sam Mackey as Captain America now. But and I like Falcon, but he's not Captain America. He's Falcon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, I don't care if you want to, like, put him in a suit and call him Captain America. Steve Rogers is Captain America. Yeah, and you've, you've, you've... And, and it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Black Panther, too. Because, yeah. although that, I will say that trailer is, is a great trailer. And, and it made me want to see the movie.
0: Yeah. But... Look, you can replace a character... And, the, and at least with Black Panther 2, the benefit that it has is that the actor sadly did really pass
1: away. Right. They're not just killing him off.
0: They're not just killing him off or replacing him. I mean, it's not like the actor just left. It's like right. You can't... There is no world in which Shadwick in which Boseman is com- revises the role, sadly. So yeah. I think it's going to get a lot more leeway. And I, and I have faith in Ryan Coogler to be
1: able to tell a killing story with it. And he also... I, clearly, they like tripled the budget that, yeah. from the last one because that movie looks amazing. So.
0: And honestly, like there's probably a way... To have done Anthony Mackie stepping into the role of Captain America in in a way that that made people want to see it, but like I don't want to watch a Disney Plus show. And it was not a
1: good show. That was the other problem.
0: So that's yeah. So like again, like you've not made me care. Right. And you're making me bounce around to things that I don't want to do in order to understand what's happening. Right. Put it in a movie. Sign up. Sign up Chris Evans for one more flick. Where he's old man Steve Rogers and have him, you know, find a way to... If you're going to do that, find a way to connect it. Right. The problem with, like, a Pirates movie is that, like, you, how do you replace Jack Sparrow? You he's don't. such a
1: weird and unique just, character, like... They're going to bring in Jeffrey Rush or somebody, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, it's just like, eh. And it's just, yeah, it's not the same. We're like, But, you know, those movies have also tailed off
0: very, well, very... And,
1: very and, and part of the reason why... Ones. There's this, there's
0: this channel that uh, is called Fomento that I like watching sometimes. He kind of breaks down movies. And um, he talks about the, how the fifth pirate movie isn't Jack Sparrow. Even though it is Jack Sparrow on screen, Like it's, it has, it bears no resemblance to the Jack Sparrow right. we've watched for four of the movies. Because the, the charming aspect of that character is that he's an idiot savant. Like, he's doing all these wacky things that seem like they make no sense. He's and Mr. Magoo. Yeah. But Mr. Magoo was like survived on accident but with Jack Sparrow you get the sense that like and they 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 allude to it in in the movies like no one's knew what he was doing no one's quite sure does is he making is he planning all this is he like a genius right or is is he just making up as he goes like is this dumb luck or is this like a profound foresight that's
1: being masked by all this like kooky behavior like that's interesting that's an interesting character and he's always had that where he's kind of like Oh, he used to be the captain of this and this and that, and he always was there, but he just seems like a drunk idiot. But, yeah.
0: yeah, but then in the fifth movie, he is just a drunk idiot. <laughs> and things happen to him, and you do get the sense that that when he survives a thing, it's, it's dumb luck.
1: It's just he's fully metamorphosized into Mr. McGoo.
0: Into Mr. McGoo, and yeah. that's much less compelling. Now... You take that and you give it to someone else who's not even had doesn't even have the cachet build up that Johnny Depp has in that role, right? And I think I don't even care if you cast The Rock in it or Margaret Bro- Broby or fucking the reincarnation of Marlon Brando. Like, it's not gonna work, right? You know, better just move on from it. And so totally. th- I kind of fear that the same thing's gonna happen. unfairly to Anthony Mackie is like they didn't give they didn't give him a proper transition. I mean, I know that they tried to with the TV show, but like. It just doesn't make—I I don't know anyone who's, like, looking forward to that, you know? And yeah. and
1: you could have told a better story there. Absolutely. And it's no no fault of Sam Mackey. No. Or Anthony Mackey, because he's, he's great. And speaking of Phase 4, um, it's funny, because I think in Hero's Journey, I think the best Phase 4 movie was actually uh, Shang-Chi. I haven't seen that one yet. And that's really a great movie. Really? Yeah, by far. And it's because it's a hero's journey. It has the least amount of, like, oh, we got to put in some Marvel crap in there. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. a... That movie could have lived outside of the Marvel Universe completely, and it would have been just as good. I think, I think if I was them, and, and if I'm... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And, and, and Tony Lang, I think his name is? hmm Great villain. Okay. And it makes, like, great villain that has clear motivations... And he's not just a complete clone of Shang-Chi. Okay, that's important. It's honestly like I was surprised at how good it was. I was by far the best... Phase Four movie.
0: But if I was, I mean, look, I, I, Marvel's pretty money, so like, who am I to tell them how to do things? Yeah. But like,
1: but they can. That's only that goodwill won't last forever. It,
0: it is not lasting. Yeah. I mean, it's already dropping off. Right. Like, I've seen articles about articles about like how Marvel has a Phase Four problem, and like these movies are already being poorly reviewed. Like, Eternals was like the first poorly reviewed Marvel film, right? Since Thor: Dark World, right? And Doctor Strange was not well reviewed. I think Far From Home
1: probably was. Love and Thunder got horrible reviews. It was. I mean, did you watch it? Yeah, it's bad. And I, I thought wa- it was okay. I just thought it was silly. I wanted to like it. Yeah, and I, I mean, it was funny, but it was it was a uh, it was a uh, spoof of a Marvel movie. That's the problem. It
0: made like Thor, we were saying before. It took Thor from being a fish out of water to to being a buffoon. Well, he was a cartoon
1: character. He that became movie, Mr. Magoo. Yeah, that movie was a cartoon. Yeah, and like it could. And the thing is, it had the bones to be a really great movie. It
0: like, was also two movies. Yeah, it was the rest of the movie. And then it was the movie when Christian Bale was on screen. (laughs) It was great. It was like no one had the balls to tell Christian Bale, hey, we're going to make a dumb, stupid, uh, uninspiring film. Like when he's on set. It's awesome.
1: The movie's awesome. He's great. The movie that he's in, I want to see that movie. And like Natalie Portman's whole thing could have been cool. Could have been. Could have been great. Yeah. But again, they dweaned way too hard into the Taika, you know, jokey – Jokey shit, and then I feel like in Ragnarok they rode the line a lot better. Yeah, in this one they went off the rails. Well,
0: so. here's the, here's my biggest issue with that is that there's no breathing room with jokes. It's like yeah. it's like it's like someone aimlessly jackhammering someone during sex. Like it sucks. <laughs> you know, like there's no yeah. there's no change in pace. There's no breathe. Like it's like you wouldn't watch a horror from that kills someone every two minutes.
1: No, because it just becomes like. Bland and,
0: and it, re- it, repetitive. It's why I, I actually, when I watched the first uh, Man, Steel, when I watched Man of Steel, That's which I was terrible. really excited about when before I saw it, great
1: trailer again. Yeah,
0: great trailer. <laughs> I fell asleep in the movie Dude, because so I was bad. so numbed by the end right. fight scene. Well, because a Dragon Ball Z movie, it became. But I, at least Dragon Ball Z is more fun, right? right?
1: Well, at least they like lead up to the fights. Yeah.
0: So and so I I I kind of felt like uh, Love and Thunder had that same problem where right. it's like the goats were funny. Once. But I don't I don't have a moment to laugh at the jokes because I get the joke, I get the 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 goats and then so I get the, the, the Thor's
1: hammer. Yeah,
0: yeah, Thor doing the splits. Yeah. The you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy were there for 2 seconds and then they're gone.
1: Right. Like
0: Thor's butt, like it's like okay, I get it. It's yeah. funny. I, but can I enjoy one of the jokes first? Can I have some stakes so that when the next joke happens, it's actually Giving relief, yeah, it hits. yeah, yeah, and it lands, and it just they had no, oh, like oh, um, you know the the mug the mug you're drinking coffee from is the Infinity Gauntlet, right? Like oh, this this madman for five years killed half the universe. Let's make an ice, ice cream shop based on it, like. That doesn't make any sense.
1: No, that would be like, hey, let's make let's make a Holocaust ice cream shop. Seriously, that would never never fly.
0: No, that joke doesn't land. Like, they could have done that if they wanted yeah. to show that New Asgard has become like a spectacle. Because I do think that in some ways, that movie is just taking the piss out of Marvel Studios. Right. But like, it it's like again, like if you'd have given Taika that movie to do on his own, I expect a satire that probably cuts. Pretty deep into like some of the spectacle that is Marvel now, yeah. But because it is done within the Marvel system, this idea that you're like criticizing from within, uh, it it it's it's watered down, yeah. And so it actually has no it has no teeth, you know. It doesn't have any impact because it's it doesn't have the room to have those impact, you know. It can't really be a biting commentary on like how the Marvel films have gone from like this thing. That was wish fulfillment for a certain generation of people who grew up on these stories that they loved and were starting to finally get them realized in a respectful manner to this sort of lackadaisical – I know everyone argues about this. But like this amusement park style of filmmaking, this like uh, factory, factory right. filmmaking and – And there could have been something in there that did that, but you you can't really do it when your boss is the people you're making fun of, as as we learned from the Matrix reboot. Oh, dude. That movie was so bad. Like, I appreciate the swing. I probably liked it more than most people.
1: I liked the first third of it. Yeah. but then it fell apart completely. Yeah, because you're trying to. You're trying. Well, it was a giant fuck you from. Uh, yeah, from the Lon- Wachowski's. Was it? Yeah. Lon- it was just on it, right? Oh, yeah. This Whichever is one, one directed one. it, I forgot. Yeah, I think but, it was like it. yeah. It was definitely like, oh, you want more Matrix? Well, will fuck you. Here's like the worst Matrix movie ever. That's just gonna like definitely make fun of all the stuff you want.
0: Yeah. And by the way, if you all are hearing Sophie snore, she's just she's all over this podcast. So it's it's going to be what it's fine. It would be she's she's been in it for like a good 30 minutes. Um, You guys can take a shot every time you hear her snoring. Good luck with your hospital bills. Um, Yeah. It just again, like I appreciate the swing. I think that she probably had something interesting to say. But I've never bought into this idea that you're going to change from within. Change the system from within. I've heard this uh, very recently, in fact. And it's like that doesn't usually how those things work, ever. If you look at major historical revolutions, they're rarely, if ever, done
1: from within. They're done from external conflict and force. Right. Because when you do it from – when people attempt to change things from within – It just becomes this corporatized uh, committee, you know, change by committee thing that no one likes. Incremental change that is usually not changing. Right, and then what happens is the people that don't like the changes just move on and start doing what they were doing before in a different company.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so I think that some of these films... Again, like, I would love to see uh, a Takia uh, Greek god or, or Norse god movie that takes the piss out of Marvel separate from a Marvel studio. Right.
1: right. You know, I like, totally agree.
0: Give him the room, or, or even Sam Raimi. Let Sam Raimi do some weird wizard movie, like, give him the money to go do that separate from Marvel. Let him go do his thing,
1: right. and, like, you might get something really interesting out of it. I do think, but I do think if any movie is going to be the savior of Phase 4, it's going to be the next Blank Panther, because they're... Because of the tragedy with Chadwick Boseman, yeah. they're not going to be like... This is a cartoon... I mean, I hope not. I hope not. Because I mean, I don't have is, faith. That's, that's bad. But, like, if it is not a joke yeah. movie, then, it, I mean, I think that's the one that, like, will curtail into... It really depends on how much... Five. It
0: depends on it. how much room they give Ryan Coogler. Right. Like, if you know, because, again, I've now seen two directors I really have a lot of respect for turn in very milquetoast films and sure. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they and I actually heard someone say that like when you go to work on a Marvel film it just feels like people ch- clocking into work like a lot of the passion has been, Sapped, has been yeah. yeah and also they're churning out so many of these things and it, there's, they're just trying to interconnect them so so uh, so that you have to watch them all that I feel like they've really lost the passion behind
1: bringing the characters to life. Yeah, there's, like, a lot... It's a combination. Oversaturation. Yeah. Seemingly not having a focal point, like the Thanos, you know, arch-villain, you know? Yeah. Which is a huge problem in a connecting universe. Yeah, like, Like, I know they're building... What do I need to watch all these movies for if there's not, like, an endgame type situation? Like, I know they're building the Kang the Conqueror. Right. But how, why, and why do I care? And, like, listen, also... I know that was great success in bringing in, you know, guardians and all these other C listers into the fold, but like you bought Fantastic Four and X Men. Make don't waste all don't waste all the goodwill on these D and C list characters, because that only those only work when you still got A listers. Yeah, you know what I mean, and like and (laughs) it's without... Fantastic Four and X-Men, I think, they're just, like, waiting to see how much goodwill they drain before they bring them out, because Uh. those are literally... I mean, Fantastic Four was the comic in the 60s and 70s. That was the biggest one. And then after that, and still, I mean, the X-Men, arguably, is their most important... Well, not including Spider-Man, but X-Men is their most important property. But even
0: those, like... You know they've they've attempted. I mean, granted, different studio, but they've attempted three different
1: Fantastic Four movies, and they've all failed. Well, the, I, I always say, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, the best Fantastic Four movie yeah. is The Incredibles. Yes, yeah, yeah, because exactly. that's the only one that gets the vibe right. Right, because it's about family. Yeah, first. Well, even
0: the X Men movies, really. Uh, you know, when you look at the the whole of the X Men franchise, it's a pretty spotty. Track record—it's like all the, over the place. The first one's good. The second one's great. The third one's terrible. So bad. Then the new—the cl- first first class. That one's good. That one's good. And then the rest of them are
1: pretty. And then Days of the Future Past—it's okay. actually not bad.
0: No, it's it's okay. It's yeah, not it, as quite as good
1: as everyone made it out to be. No, but it's, it's okay. It, it has its moments. Yeah. And then and then the last two were terrible. So bad. Oh, dude, the last one, that last Phoenix one. Yeah. <laughs> it. Might as well have been called Twilight Sakes or something. Yeah. It was a young adult fiction. They didn't. They forgot who their audience was. So honestly, you know what I would have done? I would
0: have. I would not go with King the Conqueror, and I would not go in the multiverse. It's way too complex right now.
1: Yeah, I mean it's complicated if you're a comic book fan.
0: And and the magic of the doing the multiverse is that you can bring characters or versions of the characters the back. Yeah. So like. That doesn't make sense to do as a Phase 4 because...
1: Unless you're bringing Iron Man and Captain America back. Which you're not you going to do in a Phase yeah. 4, right? But you could do maybe in Phase 6 well, or whatever if it's not too late. I will say that, I mean, I, I saw their slate for... Uh, like, Phase 4 is basically almost over. Is it? Yeah. I think they were, like, ending it early. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. You're gonna like we're going to clean slate Phase 5. But the, the multi... This is basically a setup for Phase 5. The right. entire Phase 4... The way I'm looking at it is to be like introduce the audience to the idea of multiverse. Yeah. And and like that way they can run with it in phase five. I just think that them going so
0: cosmic is it's so tough to do. And I don't think it's working. Right. And they're they're really working with characters that no one cares about. It um, doesn't understand doesn't know. Right. And and um, I, I just think that you're right if they were buoyed with the characters like if Captain America was still around or Iron Man was still around you could maybe you could maybe ground it and have it that more be, of a
1: handoff. Yeah. yeah
0: but it feels like it's such a it was such an end the end game felt like such an end to the MCU yeah that to continue it feels like eh, with like the Beast team it's like do you remember do you
1: ever watch wrestling uh yeah I used to watch a lot of, I mean I haven't watched it in decades do you remember the NWO that was the best part okay of it. yeah do you
0: remember when the NWO split and there was like the ND, NWO Wolfpack and then there was the NWO like the B Squad. Yeah. Yeah, this is we're in the B Squad. We're in the right. NWO B Squad right. version of the Marvel Universe. They used to do that
1: with X-Men too. Yeah. They had the Gold Team. Yeah. And I think it was the Blue Team. Yeah, Gold and Blue. And like during Jim Lee's run. Right. And like what I hated was they basically were like, "Oh, we're going to put on the Blue Team" a couple characters you like. Yeah. Just so you can... I think Wolverine was on both. Of course. Yeah. Because <laughs> you had to have the most popular character. Yeah. But, like, the Gold Team, I think, was the one the animated series is yeah. based off of. Yeah. Which, the animated series is still, like, it's kind still of the, best. Best. the definitive X-Men. Yeah. And, like... I don't want to read the comic that had most of the characters you didn't care about. No. And then they spun it off even more. They're like, here's X-Factor. Here's, uh, you know, uh, Young Mutants or something like that. Like, yeah. you, you know what I think they should have done? I know, I know that they wanted
0: to get Chris Evans and um, Robert Downey Jr. out at Endgame. But I think instead of going with, like, the multiverse and Kang the Conqueror, which is such a goofy name anyway, like, they should have done Onslaught. Do you remember the onslaught? Comic? Right, but that's X Men. I know, but there's a way to do it where you introduce the villain of onslaught, and he kills all the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. just take them out of circulation for a while, and and then introduce the Fantastic Four and the X Men as the heroes that come up right. from like the ashes of like, and you don't even have to spend the whole move. Like you, there, I think there's a way that you could do it where you you start with like a reason to write off all the big characters that that are leaving for other reasons. Right. Like, I would have... If, if it was me, I would have let them survive in-game. I know the moment with Tony... Maybe Tony has to die, but, like, I, I feel like him... Losing him and Captain America at that stage was right. just, like... It just feels like... It just felt like,
1: oh, yeah, the actor wants out, so we gotta
0: get... Yeah. yeah. But if you... But with, a, with an Onslaught-type character where there's reality bending, you could literally show a world where, like... These the, the Earth's Mightiest Heroes are dead or gone or missing, which we'll bring right. back eventually. And in their place rises the X Men. In their place rises the Fantastic Four. Like you could introduce the heroes that come next, and right. they're recognizable characters. Yeah. They're not the Eternals. They're not you know. And that might have been a more compelling direction to go because you could tell three phases of stories with Fantastic Four, X Men, um, Spider Man, yeah, and. That's a different Marvel MCU than we've seen for the last 11 years, but it's with characters we know, and you can kind of refresh everything. Right. Whereas, they're trying to introduce all these Z-list characters, and, it's like, and they're not even doing a good job of it.
1: No. You know? No, no. no. Most of them, like, I'm like, perfect example. Moon Knight. I'm not a guy that read Moon Knight. Really. I loved I'm, it, but I haven't watched the series because I've heard it's not great. Well, here's the problem, is that it's lacking an important character, and mm-hmm. that's Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> kind of seems like an important he's thing he's like though. barely in the movie like Mark Spector's in the movie and all yeah. his personalities but like the actual superhero and that's the problem I had with Iron Man 3 yeah right it's, they should have called it Tony Stark 3 right because Iron Man but, is barely in the movie but, which by the way if your name is Mark Spector why
0: are you not the Specter? Yeah, you know just, what I'm saying? Instead of Moon Knight, yes. Moon Knight, like yeah. he could be, he could, everything can stay the same. <laughs> but why is it just not the? Spe- I mean, I, I think yeah. it's a copyright issue. But like, right. you name the character, Mark Specter. Doctor Strange is real, Stephen Strange. Right. Doctor Doom is Victor Von Doom. Yeah. How is it that Mark Specter didn't think? You know what's a better name than Moon
1: Knight? Spectre. the, the Specters, which is way cooler, way cooler. Yeah. Moon Knight's not a good name. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Well, they're trying to, in, in, they're trying to like shove like the entire horror division of Marvel in, mm. which is what happened. in Eternals 2, like, yeah. spoiler alert, yeah. like, at the end of the movie, Jon Snow, whatever his real name is. Oh, the, Kit, Kit the, Yeah, the, the bonus scene is him, like, discovering, like, uh, the sword that makes him the Black Knight. Oh, is that who he is? Yeah. Mm. And he's like, you know, basically, you're like, oh, but like... He did the thing! Yeah, exactly. Another one of those. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't care about that character, and most people don't know who that is. No.
0: Black Knight is such think, a very small character. Like, as a 90s comic book fan, I like Black Knight. Right. But I don't care that much. Right. And he is such
1: a Z list character in yeah. the Avengers world. But like, right. And if you're going to bring him all in, why aren't you bringing them in in Blade, which is like the one people actually remember? Well, also, also like, think about this. The,
0: at the end of Iron Man, the character they introduce is Nick Fury. Who's a major, pl- also cast played by Samuel L. Jackson. Who's a major player in the Marvel Universe, versus Black Knight, who's like a poor man's
1: swordsman, poor man's Hawkeye. Yeah, like, he's uh, a, he's a character that shows up in the crossovers, so he can he, get killed or beaten up.
0: Yeah, like he's like in the '90s, he wore a leather jacket. Yeah, like his costume was a bucket on his head and a leather Avengers jacket. Do you remember that? And he had a lightsaber. Yeah. Like, they gave him a lightsaber at one point right. because, like... They're was, like, this sword's not cool enough. No. To it just... I, you know, I just feel like they've... Um, well, and I think also, they're punting a lot of the, the connective tissue to Disney Plus and the series. Right. Which, in theory, should be awesome, but the problem is, I just don't think they have the resources that the movies have.
1: Well, and they also are starting to fall into a pattern, right? Yeah. So, they're like, character has a problem, you know, or discovers powers or whatever. And then we have, like, three filler episodes and then where we figure the villain is, like, gradually, so slow, starting yeah. to encroach. And then everything resolves in the last episode, and it's basically, like, clearly they spend half the budget on the last episode. Yeah. It just becomes a big...
0: Well, because they don't they just don't have episode. the budget to do these things. Right. So they're trying to go small, which I don't mind. I don't mind small, intimate stories yeah. with, char- with characters. Um, I think She-Hulk releases this week. Okay. So let's talk about She-Hulk, because I wanted to bring that up. Have you seen the VFX on that?
1: Yeah, they're sketch. They're bad. But also, you never know, because promos are never, and the actual show never always wind up.
0: I hope they did something. The sad part is, this is the fucked up thing. The reason that the VFX don't look good in the teasers that were sent out is because the VFX community within film is overworked, underpaid, and there's not enough artists. Right. There's so many movies coming out and because so many more movies than ever before are VFX heavy that there's just not enough uh, artists in the community to work on these projects. And they're paid so poorly. A lot of these VFX artists are going to the
1: video game industry to work. Or commercials. Or commercials. I have a good friend who's a VFX artist. Sorry to tangent real quick. And he does some movie stuff and he's like – yeah, I barely make any off the TV and movies. I just do those for prestige. Because like, I go to car commercials, because most car commercials, for those who don't know, mm. are like sixty to seventy percent CGI. Right. And you get the car basically in an you and you make the car model. You put it in an Unreal Engine, and you just have it drive around and in a completely fake environment. Right. And it looks dead real. That like whenever you see those cars lining up in shots, like oh, it's the like you know whatever Easter special event. Yeah. And there's like you see like the Tahoe and the like all they they're all like like line up. That's all CGI. Every wow. single. Wow. That's part amazing. Of it. No, they don't ever do that. They, they the only shots that are real are the ones where you see a person driving in it. Right. Right. And even then it's yeah suspect. It's, yeah,
0: the 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 car might be real, right. but the everything around them because have you seen that? I forget what it's called. It's, it's got a special name, but there's a car. There's a camera car that they've invented. That essentially uh, you can skin it, so like it it, it looks like the it looks like a bit like a like Chris Nolan's Batmobile almost, but like smaller in scale. So it's just a camera car, and then uh, you put a skin around it to make it any car you want it to be. So right. if you want it to be a Lambo or Hummer, or a whatever. You just VFX the the exterior of it. And the in the interior of it looks more like a like almost like sort of a, a vehicle drone.
1: Well, it's crazy because literally, they I've watched him this guy do the same exact thing with the Unreal. He'll take a car out, any car, drive around in the desert or whatever, and and use the little ball thing mm-hmm. uh, that is attached to it, and then he'll just track it and then replace it with whatever car is supposed to be in the commercial. Yeah, and it looks dead real because but- once you build that model in Unreal, you can literally. Which is a video game engine, yeah, <laughs> built for video games. But that's the uh, movies finally discovered this thing. And yeah, that's like where we get what is it, the Resolume or what is it called? Another volume. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is you know, Mandalorian and all that, where you completely create a world and people, the actors actually can see it. Oh, as, well, in real time. Well,
0: a lot of what Mandalorian did was also those 360 LED screens as well. That's what it's called. Yeah,
1: that's the, That's the volume. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And um, but you do that all with Unreal. That's why it happens so quickly. Right. You build that you, and you pre-res it, and that way the actors have something to look at. But that's what you do with car commercials too. Right. You don't need the LCD screens because you're not. You don't have subjects right. to like that need the to see it because you're not shooting it like that because it's all CGI. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So again, so you have all these artists that are going to more lucrative industries, and they're not staying in film, or they're not doing as much film. And if you're getting. You know, you're, you're being worked to the bone like like Jeff Brazos was running the film industry, and you're like some Amazon toy trying to like piss in a bottle to go because you can't go to the bathroom. If like those are the con- kind of conditions that VFX or artists are being put under, then uh, why would you stick around?
1: Well, yeah. And then these VFX artists that are like my friend is very talented. Yeah. I know what he does too. Like, he's just like, oh, I'm a supervisor. So, like, I t- basically spend a lot of my time talking to clients. Right. And doing less and less of the actual work of right. the art. And what then what he does, he's like, okay, you're paying me this amount? Cool, for this to make sense, I'm going to take all the roto work and sub it to India or right. Korea for like $2 a frame. Right. Or whatever, 30 cents a frame. So then the work suffers in the end, right? Right, Cause, and then he's just like, well, this is the best I can do at this amount of time and this yeah. budget. So there you go. What's funny, though, is that the filmmakers of She-Hulk decided to respond to this criticism. (laughs) That's never a good idea.
0: First thing they did, first thing they did is they, they, uh, they tried to present it as, ah, these poor VFX artists, you know, they're just, they're overworked and it's the best they could do, which is all true. But what they neglect is the fact that like, they're the filmmakers and the studio can determine what the budget is for these VFX artists and the time frame. Right. They just conveniently pretend. Like, I don't know what to do. They just these poor yeah. VFX artists. I needed know, another Porsche. Yeah. What are you gonna do? I'm sure that show when the line but when the line producer came up and said, "Hey, we're gonna need two million in VFX or whatever," she was like, "Oh, we can't spend that. We I need to cast this star in this role." And right. And we gotta give. All more money to
1: this actor. Yeah,
0: exactly. They conveniently leave that part of it out. And then the other thing... Then the director really decides to go wackadoo and decided that um, the reason that people were criticizing the She-Hulk CGI
1: was because they're misogynists and they're trying to control women's bodies. And that's when it becomes... That's when you lose people, too. Yeah, because it's so pandering to do something like well, that. Well, no, it's, it's, it's insulting. Right. It, it,
0: we, no. You know why? Because just a few years ago, these same folks were bemoaning the CGI for Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> and no one, PETA in least a statement that said that... (laughs) This is
1: Hedgehog accurate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that hedgehog. We're we're trying to control Hedgehog's bodies. No. Film audiences
1: saw shoddy effects and said, this is shoddy effects. And you know what's... I mean, I'm not going to get into it too much. (laughs) I don't want to get in trouble. But like, I'm just saying that she's not going to get in trouble for that. But the director... Of that Fantastic Four movie Which was abysmal Yeah He literally went off the record Blaming people and Went on the record Blaming people and stuff When people started Talking shit about his movie Right And he got blacklisted For a while Yeah And, 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 and he was a promising Young director I was putting him At the very beginning Before that movie came out I was <laughs> like Oh that guy's got A promising career With a lot of these Other young directors Like I mean I would have Put him up with like Eggers and all that because right. he, made, he made Chronicle which was right. like a really fresh superhero take on a superhero yeah. movie and I, I liked I thought he was going to have a very you know interesting career and then he like ran his mouth and that was it And while like not going to happen to this lady
0: no and the sad part is is that look you it's easy to look at society and to say people are dumb <laughs> yeah. I do it all the time but the reality of it is, people aren't dumb. Yeah, people are pretty smart people. When you di- when you divorce them from a group, when you pull someone, I always I, I always say this: if you sit someone down, and you have a beer with them and you talk, n- I would say at least ninety percent of the time you'll find common ground.
1: Right, it's mob mentality and group think. That's yes, the problem, and it yes. always has been. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, but individual people. Are gonna, you know, there's enough individual people out there in the world because I think we live in a bubble. We live in Los Angeles, and we think that everyone kind of, and especially in the film industry, everyone has this idea that everyone thinks the same way and what have you. And they've lost such perception and perspective of the uh, the average person who hears this dumb shit, right? Because I'm sure in this director's circle, she's getting patted on the back for being like progressive. But like the average mom and pop in in Kansas and in, in Florida, in Boston, whatever, like the average person is hearing this and like that's ridiculous. Right. And you're attacking me because your studio was cheap. D- yeah. That's really all. Or down in a
1: hurry, it. or both. Right. You know. Right. And, and it's again. Bad visual effects are bad visual effects. That's yeah. it. There's no, there's no like, excusing that. Do
0: you remember Logan? Uh, no, the first Wolverine movie. Uh, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible, and people were dogging the VFX, and nobody said it was because we were trying to control mutants' but bodies. Then
1: I remember Black Panther came out. I was dogging visual effects on that movie. Yeah, that was not good. And people were like, oh, you know, that you got to be careful when you criticize that movie. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, was not a good movie? I think so. Yeah, it's okay. Right. I think, was it I, I think Oscar it was, worthy. No, I didn't. No. I, I definitely wasn't Oscar
0: worthy. It was not. It was the, exactly the same formula of
1: every, that, what, er, that uh, we've already talked that about. we've already
0: talked about. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, put it frame by frame, right, or beat by beat with Iron Man One because right. they all follow that pattern. And there and, are
1: straight visual effects in that movie that are es- inexcusably es- bad,
0: especially the end fight between the, literally in Black Panther. Uh Warmonger uh, what's it is it Warmonger? Uh, uh Killmonger Killmonger. Yeah. Killmonger who by the way is exactly like Ironmonger in- and <laughs> has- yeah. they barely even changed the name. Yeah. Although he was the best character in the movie. He was. because yeah. what I'll, I'll get to what really buoys that <coughs> film. But if you look at the final fight scene, it literally is a CGI fight between two identical characters with the only difference, because they have their mask on, the only discernible difference is that one glows orange and one glows purple. Right. But other than that, they, they are literally mirror images of one another. But what buoyed that film was that the acting was stellar. Right. Michael B. Jordan is fantastic. Chadwick Boseman is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Brian Coogler as a director is fantastic. And in fact... Oh, and what's his name? Smeagol.
1: No,
0: okay. Oh, yeah. Um, he's great, too. Yeah, the, all the actors yeah. were great. Yeah. And the performances were great. And the best parts of those films are not the superhero elements. It's the, it's like the right. story
1: of birthright. It's almost like Hamlet. It's a story of, like, birthright. and like, I, I was saying from the beginning, that movie is Hamlet. Yeah. It's Lion King. And which is also Ham. Which is also Ham, yeah. Yeah. But like, and the best moves, scenes in that movie also are the ones where they clearly used less CGI. Yeah. Like when they raid the art gallery. Yeah. That movie, that scene is awesome. Yeah. And then the other problem is they, I mean, just to like criticize that movie, (laughs) (laughs) Black Panther, the coolest performance of Black Panther, the coolest uh, iteration of Black Panther in the Marvel Universe is uh, in Civil War. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. where he's more ruthless yeah and, and they kind of wash all that out which yeah. is exactly how he is in the comics yeah because and he has reason to be angry you know yeah. his father gets killed by terrorists and yada 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 and in his movie he gets really watered down yeah and I feel like they did that to to, well, t- but, to differentiate him from
0: Killmonger well because but, it has to be a Marvel film right so it's got to go through the trajectory of a Marvel film and I right. I guess that it's one of the better ones but, yeah but I don't think we need to anoint it as the second coming of The Godfather to you either.
1: Right. Well, the fact that it was up for Best Picture was like. That was fancier. That was fancier. just so happens to be after the whole Oscar so Light Fiesta. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was a good movie. Was it Oscar worthy? Absolutely not. No. Uh, the CGI in it, specifically, there's two scenes the CGI rhinos are so bad looking. I don't remember those. It was uh what's his name? Daniel. C- I don't know how to say his last name. Kuglia. C- C- oh yeah, from the Walking Dead. Yeah, uh, he's in Nope. Oh. Dan Daniel. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's in uh, Go- Get Out of Credit. Yeah, I know who you're talking
0: about. I thought you were talking about Danny, who's the lady that played this from Walking Dead. She was one of the guardsmen. Dan- Her name is Danny something too. Oh,
1: I don't know. But you know what I'm talking yeah, about, right? You're Shaved talking. head. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's great. Yeah, she's great. She, there's nothing wrong with her. Different and, Danny. No, nothing wrong with Daniel. He's a great actor in his too, but he's the one that controls like the rhino. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they look very fake. And yeah. then the other part scene that was like noticeably bad was when they're doing the like ritual the first time mm-hmm. of like turning him into Black Panther. Yeah. Or, or taking away his power so he can have that fight with. Uh, you're right, right, right. With. Uh, with uh, Michael B. Jordan's character? No, no, no. Before that, the first Oh, part. the other guy. Yeah. yeah Winston. That, yeah, he was great. He, that guy's awesome, He's too. amazing as well. But he, like... I remember they look up at the mountain, mm-hmm. like the like, canyon side, and they're all like... The people are oh, doing it, their it looked, like, it looked like a Phantom Menace. So bad. Yeah. I was just like... And it, that's what I was saying earlier in this podcast, is that I'm excited for Black Panther 2, because... Clearly, they were like, oh, we got a new Golden Goose. And we, yeah. they tripled the yeah. budget. Because yeah. the CGI looks astounding in that one.
0: Hopefully, it carries through all the way. Right. They probably didn't have any artists left for uh, She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what,
1: that's, what, that's what happened to She-Hulk. Yeah, because I, 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 the trailer to that one, I'm like, wow, that looks like Infinity War level yeah. CGI. Yeah. Wow, like, uh, yeah, She-Hulk, like you said, bad CGI. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see how it actually looks. I am excited for that one only because I like the idea of like a Law and Order superhero show. But you give it a watch first, and you tell me if it's. In. I mean, I love. I love. I Mad. watch them all. Although Miss Marvel, I couldn't finish. It was. I like. I, I, I couldn't get through that one. It was like it was Anna Montana.
0: Yeah, I like. I like the the fact that Daredevil is going to be in it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because
0: yeah. I liked the Netflix Daredevil show. I thought that was really well done. Right. And the
1: action choreography was
0: awesome. Yeah. I just, I just don't know if it's going to be, if we're going to get that version of Daredevil or we're going to get the Marvel, the current right, Marvel, Marvel Studios was, version
1: yeah, of it. Yeah.
0: Um, real quick, because we're getting close to the end, but since we've just talked about Hamlet, did you see The Northman? So good. Great, right? Loved that Beautiful movie. film. Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers, once again. And yeah. it made no money. And that breaks my heart. <laughs> it was right up there with like Blade Runner twenty forty nine not making any money. Like it was just like, fuck. It's,
1: these are such oh. good films, and it's like Man. no one gave a damn. Oh, I'm trying to remember, but oh, what was it? What movie was it? Um, God, I'm trying to remember. I came out of a movie. I see a lot of movies, right? <laughs> yeah. So I go. I have that A list AMC thing. I go there oh, nice. all the time. And I forgot which movie it was, but I thought it was bad. God, I'm trying to remember. Do you remember what it was about? I mean, um, which one was it? Um, <laughs> it was a couple months ago. Um, Top Gun. No, I liked that one.
0: That it was, was great. Fun. It was fun for us. Yeah. Um, it was nostalgic as well, but it, at least it, it delivered on what it needed to deliver, which was cool flying sequences.
1: Yeah. But anyway... It was not good. It was a it was a bad movie. Uh-huh. And I came out of it and I heard people talking like that was great. And I'm like, man, people will watch anything.
0: They yeah.
1: Like anything. You put it up on the big screen and people are going to be like this is great. Unless it's a great movie like The Northman and then <laughs> no one shows up. <laughs> right, because you need the built-in audience. Yeah, and that's the sad part too. I mean I often hear like I don't want to look up what that was. Sorry. No, it's okay.
0: Keep going. Sometimes I sometimes I get on on Twitter and I, and I I make the mistake of going into the film Twitter realm and I hear people bemoan how like nobody watched like a remake everyone Hollywood only knows how to make remakes right? But it's like but you guys don't see the original films no one's like not enough people are going to see uh, everything everywhere all at once which I've heard is good I've not seen it yet myself it was good but I've heard it's really good I think it was a little overhyped but it was good fair enough Uh, no one saw the Northman which I thought was great no one saw the Green Knight which I thought was great I actually think the Green well They're very different movies, even though they're kind of existing in the same genre. But, like, I really love The Green Knight, and I really love The Northman,
1: and no one gave a damn about either. You know, so the movie I was talking about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the Jurassic... Oh, uh, God. I I have no desire to see that. Dude, it is so bad. It was one of the worst movies I've seen in a while. It was... Everything we've talked about on this podcast, all the problems with filmmaking, but it's got it the, was hidden every single one. But it's got the old cast, That's and, they, what I mean. and I
0: bet you they—I have not seen that movie, but I guarantee you, without having ever seen it, that there's a bunch of self-referential things from the first movie. 100. I would, I would not be shocked. I don't know this. I've not seen this. I, I could be completely wrong. I would be not. Sh- I would not be shocked if at some point there was either a reference to Go- Jeff Goldblum, lame with his shirt open, or. Someone saying life uh, finds a way.
1: It's the latter. second one. The latter, Yeah. yeah. Shocking. Right. And, he- they, and they have so many. Like, <laughs> remember that? Remember when? Right. Remember this? Yeah. It was so fucking bad, dude. And I. I mean there was this couple next to us like I was saw my girlfriend and thankfully she was between me and this other because <laughs> I would have thrown it out but like they were like talking through the whole movie uh, like oh my god don't look behind me and, you know, and like laughing at like at the dumbest parts right like, of course like uproariously you like and then on their phone at times this like just the worst audience member possible yeah and there was so many people including them that when we were coming out like wow that was awesome great movie and i'm like man yeah that's when i was like man people will watch Look, anything good on them and for like our, it.
0: good in, good on them for having a good experience <laughs> yeah. like at the end of the day you go to a movie theater to have a
1: good experience we had to shush them a couple of times though not because they were laughing in the movie that's okay yeah. but like you're just talking. talking
0: through the whole thing. The, the problem the problem i have is that as an industry because i like to i like to, I, I do believe that if you're going to if you're going to point out problems you should try to offer some semblance of a solution so I think that as a as a as a uh, industry, not strictly just the movie making side of it, but also I'm gonna take the task of the journalistic side of it and the movie review and all the movie sites and all the people who just blow Marvel. Like, if you we we there there is something to be said for training your audience, and I think that as a movie industry, we have trained the audience to not care about deeply uh, personal and or intimate stories that are complex or and make, make people you think, feel uncomfortable. Or make people feel uncomfortable. Outside of horror, Right. I think for the most part, people do not like those things. Like, I liked Dune. I think Dune's beautiful.
1: I liked it a lot.
0: I liked it. It's no. It, to me, it's, it's nowhere near Blade Runner 2049.
1: Same director. Dude, Blade, same level of effects. Blade Runner, I agree. Blade Runner 2049, I came out of that movie feeling like I had an experience. Yeah. And being like, that movie was one of the greatest movies I've seen in years. My favorite movie of
0: all time is Blade Runner, the original. Well, I think well, this one's better. Well, the, the director's cut.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? I wasn't sure which I thought was better. Yeah. I still don't know which I think is better because it's one of those things where like you don't get 2049 without the original.
1: Sure. Right.
0: And, and and you know, they, they brought Harrison Ford back, but they did it in a way that makes sense. Right. Like, they did such an amazing, amazing job. No one cared. <laughs> Dune, which is great still, but a lot less deep than 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 right.
1: But also, that's like that's like an OG hero's journey movie.
0: Yes, yeah. But again, it's the hero's journey, right? And so people respond to that, not right. this existential dread that that Kay feels and.
1: Blade Runner 2049. And and contemplating reality and existence. What
0: does it all mean? Like, no one cares about that. They just care about the hero's journey. They just want to see the hero's journey over and over and over and over and over again. Those movies do well because we've we've had, you know, 20 years of Harry Potter and and 15 years of Marvel where we just keep seeing the same hero journey repeated over and over again. And we've trained the movie-going audience to expect spectacle and the hero's journey and not much else. And... Then, when you can't find new ways to do that, you just remake it, what you've already seen, (laughs) the 15th iteration of Spider Man or Batman. Yeah. You know, and then it's like the movies that are
1: actually trying to say something, they're not being watched. Right. And like you said, I mean, which is funny because, like you said, that, uh, uh, what is it? The the Viking one out there? Uh, Northman. Northman was Hamlet. Yeah. Uh, and mixed in with, like, folklore of, like, Nordic folk folklore. And I... Well, it's... That, that Nordic folklore is the basis for Hamlet. Right, because it's a Danish... Yeah. It's, it's supposed to take place in Denmark. Yeah. Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. And... Even though it's always played British. <laughs> well, it was a British play. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that, I, that was one of my favorite movies this year. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and, like... Um, Talk about a beautiful movie too, cinematography yeah. wise. But yeah, characters, uh, what they were trying to say with the movie, um, everything. That movie had everything going for it. And like you said, no one, no one saw it, no one cared. So, so this is my my solution. Like, Hollywood is
0: not going to make people. Always, I love. I always laugh when people say, "Oh, the Hollywood liberal agenda, bro." The, Hollywood is the most conservative industry. In the world. Yeah,
1: Hollywood's agenda is how much money can I make?
0: Yeah, and that includes the guilds and the unions and the studios and everything in between. The whole industry, top to bottom, is one big capitalistic system. Right. That's it. Right. If at one point there were real artists in the system, with every passing year, there are less. Right. Or they're in less positions of authority and power.
1: And you're only allowed to say what you want is if you've already proven that you can make money.
0: Right, exactly. So... Uh, don't depend on the studios to be the ones to do this. As an audience member, make your voice known. Go support the movies that are smaller, that are trying to tell different stories, that are coming from different voices, that are coming from uh, perspectives that aren't super comfortable, that might make you think, that you maybe don't even understand. There's nothing wrong with walking out of a movie and being... I mean... You don't want to be confused, but if it makes you think about it
1: for hours afterward, that's usually a sign of a good movie. And Hollywood never cared about making stories about minorities or women or anything else until there was clearly a demand for it. Yeah. And it it had to be, like, bashed into their brains. Yeah. Because they never started – they never were doing this until – People spoke with their wallets, which That's is literally the only way exactly. anything happens. So, exactly. This liberal Hollywood agenda is complete nonsense. No. Because— it's, it's a money agenda. Right. That's it. Yeah. Through and through. They don't give a shit about line, any liberal
0: about the values, line. progressive values. Like, that is not true. Right.
1: And they only ever do things in pandering ways anyway. hundred percent. They're just like, oh, oh, Black Panther did well. Order up. How many more you know African American yeah. superhero movies, are right? So that we can cash in, right. not because there's like a. Gen- I mean, not because they care. And again, yeah. just, like,
0: just like we were talking about with individual people, like there are individual people within right. this movie system who do
1: care, of course. But
0: there's as filmmakers that care. There are filmmakers that care. The Studios don't care. No, as no. A, as an entity, as a as a faceless, nameless, right? You know, inhuman entity. The movie industry only cares about making money.
1: Disney's all about like, <laughs> Disney's like oh, they're defending gay rights in Florida and stuff. You know, they were editing out all of the gay scenes for China mm-hmm. and this and that because, I mean, if they had any kind of backbone, they wouldn't have done that. Right. And then as soon as China was, like, banned the movie anyway, they were just like, okay, well, I guess we will show it now. Yeah. but So that, that doesn't show any kind of credence or... Right, and
0: that. also you can look at all. You can look at so many Disney villains, like Scar. Speaking of Hamlet, speaking of Lion King, where they gave uh, what's it? There's a certain term that people use, but they give villain characters uh, effeminate features and characteristics to kind of indicate that they might be gay uh, or, or a member of the LGBTQ. Like Jafar. Yeah, yeah, Jafar. like Jafar and Scar both have like a more like they're they're both like they're draw they're, the way they're drawn they're structurally. More slight, they tend to have more uh, like like Scar in particular has, I guess one what one might consider like a feminine mannerisms, eyelashes I if I remember right, yeah yeah, yeah versus like uh, Mufasa who's like bulkier, muscular, yeah. he's very, very stoic, and very yeah. masked in the traditional yeah. sense. So like it's all bullshit. So don't expect anything from them, right? You as the as the film loving, cinema loving audience have to go. Take that chance to go watch things in the theater,
1: not at home on the streaming service, but in the theater. Because right, that doesn't transfer, and people, like Netflix doesn't r- release their numbers, no. so you have no idea how much people are really watching. No, and, it, and they don't. They'll never make
0: their money back if you just watch it on streaming services. That's right. a secondary market. So, right. if you want to see more original movies, you got to go support more original movies. There are great movies being told.
1: There are original stories being told. Absolutely, no one's going to see that. Like, like, like you were like like you're saying, I'm not. I wasn't like, again, I didn't think everything, everywhere, all at once was the greatest movie of all time. Right. But I'm glad I saw that in the theater, and I appreciated that it was made. Yeah. And it was, I still think people should go see it. Agreed. And it's like, if you are interested in actually seeing multiverse stuff that's not, you know, Marvel Cheeseball stuff, that's yeah. the movie to go see. And then my, my
0: next thing is, for the, fi- for the film critique industry, for the movie review sites... Take your lips and remove them from the ball sack that are the studios, yeah. <laughs> and review things honestly. Yeah, review things, and and push. I mean, if you have a if you have a microphone, if you have a pen, if you have a website, if you have a way to connect to people and to um, sh- highlight to people the unsung movies, the unsung filmmakers, the stories that are being told that are not. Your typical CGI spandex fest. If you have that power, if you have that connection, if you have that audience, and you're not using it to inform them of things that are healthy for the industry, uh, to that create a diverse ecosystem within filmmaking, then what are you doing?
1: Right. You just ask hissin to get access. Exactly. And merch. Which is funny enough, you know, like the demise of the Golden Globes, right? Everyone yeah. Heard about that. That whole thing was... I don't know if you know the history of the Golden Globes. It was just a foreign press wanting to meet stars. That's it. Yeah. And so they're like, best way to meet stars? Give them awards. Give them an award. They'll show up. love
0: awards. They love it. Well, I, my my favorite... I know Ricky Javaris is a bit of a lightning rod, but I, I think he's hilarious. I love him. I think he's, he's smart. very smart, and I think that I think he's he... Not, he doesn't hold back. No. I mean, and I, no one's safe. And I loved what he said. I think it was his last Golden Globes, and we'll go out on this. He said, and I'm paraphrasing... He's like, you guys act woke, but if ISIS started a streaming service, you'd be calling your agents to work with them. Amazon, Apple. He's like, so you're in, he's like, most of you have spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So you're in no position to have any comprehension as to what the average working class person, their struggles, their aspirations, their desires. You have no clue. So if you get an award, come up to the stage, Thank your God and your agent and get the hell off the stage and shut up because no one cares what your opinion is. Totally. And it's dead on and I loved it and I think it was a shot in the arm that, that the industry needed. Right. And whether or not they've they've taken that to heart and they haven't, like, it needed to
1: be said. The all-time it, greatest thank you speech was Joe Pesci. Which one did he – I don't know it. I think it was either Goodfellas or Casino. I forgot which one he won for. But – He goes up, he grabs it, and he goes, "Thank you," (laughs) and he walks off the stage. That's it. Well, with
0: that note, thank you, Jason, for coming on. We've been talking about this for a long time now, and it's been really fun. And it's been fun that we did this in person. Yeah. And so, you know, if you hear the dog tap tap dancing on the floor, or snoring, or what, or the air conditioning going on, it's a small price to pay for being able to have this conversation over coffee in person. Because strong believer in that. The whole point of this podcast is me trying to capture these kind of conversations that you and i have on set or have wherever and share them with other people so they can have a little peek behind what people talk about right so thank you so much dude i I appreciate it and uh we we just finished our what third or fourth project together
1: yeah i think it's the fourth
0: and i'm sure there's gonna be many more to come so i appreciate it and we'll have you back on the show
1: again as well amazing it's a pleasure to be here all right take care
0: I would like to thank Jason Zini once again for joining the podcast. Like I said, at the top of the, at the top of the show, just to be able to sit down with someone and have a cup of coffee and no pre-planned, you know, agenda, just to really sit down and talk about things that you're passionate with. That is the crux of this entire podcast. It is, you know, we talked a lot about storytelling within the confines of movie making, but truly what we're doing is storytelling. We are exchanging our own personal stories, perspectives, thoughts, feelings, emotions, and, I hope that you all enjoyed that. I hope that you all enjoy having sort of a, the curtain pulled back and being a fly on the wall as two friends talk about things that they really truly love. I hope it inspires you to find time to meet with your friends, meet with your loved ones, sit down, have a coffee, tea, water, beer, whatever it may be, whatever your, your poison of choice is, and just spend some time talking face to face. I think so often we've, and I'm guilty of it as well. We get so accustomed to text and messaging on the social media networks and, you know, uh, sharing of memes, which is all fine and good. And I do it plenty, but it is not a substitute for interpersonal connection. And I think that that is uh, truly exemplified by just a strong and good conversation. And if the coffee's equally as strong, all the better. So I want to thank you all once again for listening. I do really appreciate you coming in and especially, you know, looking at how many folks came back after like a two-month absence. I'm blown away and I'm humbled. So thank you very much. Thank you to Jason once again for coming on the show. I'm sure we'll be doing another film talk sometime down the line. Um, but I really appreciated that, especially after a long shoot when we were both pretty, pretty much dust at that point. But we, we managed through it, and I think we had a great time doing it. So thank you to Jason. Thank you to you all. Have a wonderful week. Uh, until next time, gold rings on you all.